episode 33, and we are live today with Living the Guide Life. And we've had some good amount of snow kind of pushed in here the last week, and it's finally starting to melt off, finally getting ready for spring, able to get out, scout for those turkeys, find out where they're feeding, find out where they're roosting. And uh, it's also a big time for snow geese right now. I mean, from the reports that I've heard, they are pushing back into South Dakota, and uh, y'all should get over there and get after it because uh, somebody needs to, and somebody needs to beat up on those white devils. It's just uh, save the tundra. And, um, well, today's episode is brought to you by Chasing Fowl Outfitters, located in Minnesota, and uh, we're ready to be running and gunning this year. Some big things in the works. Got a new trailer coming, new four-wheeler coming. I mean, there isn't going to be much that we can't do out in the field. And so uh, make sure to get a hold of us. We'd love to have you out, and uh, we're going to really get after them this year. So hope you guys can come join, and hopefully I can come meet some of y'all. And uh, today we have Stephen Kornacki from Wisconsin. Now, he is the Diverge 6 Waterfall Photo Winner and uh, also does some work with St. Croix and uh, just a great dude to get to know and uh, great dude to hear about photography and his skill set and the amount of time that he puts in to help other people into their own photography skill set and show them different ways to take photos and whatnot. So if you're trying to get into photography or, you know, you are a great, you're a photographer right now and you're always trying to get better, this is a great episode for you because we dig into some great stuff. And uh, Stephen is really helpful and really willing to help anyone out. So it's really fun to talk to him. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. live with episode 33 of living the guide life today and we have steven kornacki on from wisconsin and he is the diverge six waterfall winner uh social social media manager of marketing over at st croix rods and a freelance photographer how are we doing today i'm doing awesome man i appreciate you having me on tonight yeah it's a blast dude i've uh for a little bit of people that don't know um, you've helped me out with kind of picking some camera gear out in the past and just really, um, kind of lit it up for me and really, uh, inspired me to take some cool pictures like you have nothing close to yours, but you took oh, some geez. pretty sweet photos, man. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm always happy to help. You know, I, I got my start in photography, not not in the waterfall world actually i started off uh learning from wedding photographers and one of the things that i really quickly learned was that you don't get very far without the help of other photographers the learning curve is so steep and i'm just always happy to kind of pass along anything i think i've learned and hopefully help uh, help anybody out i can absolutely brother that's so great to hear um, I loved when you posted that long exposure um, kind of tips and tricks, the steps that you took to 
take those photos because I started using that a little bit on some of the photos that I've taken. And I feel like that just helped out a ton. And I hope that it helped out a bunch of other people because it sure helped me out. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I, I tried starting a YouTube channel uh, a number of years ago called Foul Photo. And my goal with that was uh, it was kind of before um, Stephen Drake came out with his, you know, f- like outdoors photography school. It was right around that time. And we probably had the idea at the same time. And unfortunately, you know, my life got pretty crazy and I wasn't able to keep up with it. But again, I I love helping people and long exposure is one of these things that um, if you don't spend a lot of time like researching all the little steps, like you'll just give up because there's so many just little kind of tweaks you kind of have to make with traditional DSLR cameras. And now with the advent of mirrorless, um, excuse me, uh, one of those those steps have become actually quite a bit easier, but uh, I, I really love low light photography. I think it it's very different and it's also extremely creative and you can kind of put your own spin and your own angle on it. And that's kind of one of those things that people always ask me about is like, how do you take those shots at night or early morning? And um, I was always happy to help kind of put out those tips. And I finally sat down one night and did it in a way that I felt like would help people the, the best way I could. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great piece and such a awesome resource to kind of go look on and uh, just a great story to put on your profile. Yeah, and I ho- hopefully one day, like uh, one of these days, I'll get around to actually making a good video on it. Um, but as you know, it's kind of hard to, <laughs> it can be hard to film at night. Um, so, uh, you know, I have to do it during the day and then like redo it at night or something. But, yeah. um, you know. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And uh, give me a little background about you. I mean, living in Wisconsin, waterfowl hunter, um, fisherman, kind of what got you all started into it and uh, where is it taking you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I met my wife uh, around a decade ago now, about 10 years, and I had never hunted before that. And it's something I always wanted, right? Growing up in Wisconsin, you're an arm's length away from a deer hunter. So (laughs) I had grown up seeing it and dreaming of it. And, you know, my parents, bless their heart, you know, they, my dad had had a lot of bad experiences growing up with hunting. Uh, My grandpa put him in a lot of like crappy situations, like super cold, wet, freezing, and he didn't have a great like experience with it. And my mom loved her to death, but, you know, Probably being around guns was may, may have made her nervous as a young man. So I never really got to go out with my uncles and my grandparents and hunt. So when I met my wife, who's from northern Wisconsin, uh, my father-in-law took me out for my first deer hunt. And I shot a small nut buck, like second morning of gun season, and it was over for me. I mean, I fell in love with hunting and I mean, I don't think there's been a day in the last decade that's gone by, uh, probably much to my wife's, uh, you know, she probably would have preferred me not to be as obsessed with hunting, but, uh, I haven't gone a day without being super passionate and crazy about it. And waterfall hunting was really, uh, it was really just another form of hunting I found. And that really took my heart and my soul. And, um, I've been a waterfall hunter for about seven, eight years and, uh, man, I just, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's just what happens. 
I mean, once you shoot your first duck, it's like over. Oh, dude, we, I, I shot my first duck. Well, I didn't even shoot it. I was actually living in South Carolina. And we had one stupid wood duck fly into this hole, man. And, like, we all – it was one of the coldest days I've ever been, uh, like, in the in the woods, in the marsh, whatever. Yeah. And uh, one stupid wood duck flew in, and we shot it. And it was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it was that moment. And it was – looking back, like, it was a pretty pathetic, like, moment, like, as a hunter. But that's all it took for me, you know, and I was hooked forever. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's something about it, man. Like once you, once you do it and once you get after it, you just can't stop. Just like, yeah, just I, how it is. It, it is, man. And I've ruined now a lot of my friends to it. I mean, guys that were <laughs> hardcore bow hunters, like hardcore, whatever, like I've taken them on a one or two duck hunts and now it's all they do. Like they gave up bow hunting. They gave up whatever other passion they had in their even more hardcore than I am, which, to, you know, is shocking to me. I'm like, dang, like you took this to another level. Like, I love this. You guys are like crazy, crazy, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah. And you looks like you're a pretty big fisherman yourself as well. Yeah. So uh, I love fishing. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you were to say, Hey man, you want to go for a day of fishing or a day of duck hunting? It's duck hunting every time. Um, but you know, you can fish 365 days a year. You can duck hunt 365 days a year. And, uh, I was lucky enough, um, that I landed a job in the outdoors industry, uh, in a, at St. Croix Rods, a fishing company. And, yeah. um, so, you know, I get to live and breathe the outdoors every day, which is as an outdoorsman, I mean, that's the pinnacle, right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I noticed I was watching your, um, your stories about that boat you kind of built up for duck hunting. Yeah. Yeah. How is that thing running? That looks pretty sweet. Uh, so I brought it to uh, a, a brought it to an aluminum welder, and he's the guy's cutting me a deal. He's doing he's welding on these aluminum pods um, for me because it's not the most stable platform. It's only a fourteen thirty six, yeah. so not like the greatest like most stable duck cutting boat. And so I bought these pods, and I was like going to get them welded on, and uh, the guy has had his welder blow up trying to weld my pods twice now. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So he's like, I, look, dude, he's like, I'm going to buy a third welder, and it's going to be a better brand, and hopefully it won't happen. But he's charging me, like, 65 bucks, and the other quotes I have are, like, eight or 900 So I'm like, dude, take your time. Like, I don't need it before September 1st. You know what I mean? So, God, dude, that, that seems pretty intense. Yeah, it was wild, but it, it's been a fun project. You know, I've never, um, I didn't grow up with boats. Um, it's kind of a new thing for me. And frankly, like I'm a field hunter, but where I live now, it's mostly water. So yeah. it's been a transition, but it's been fun. Like I've learned some wiring, wired an LED light bar, and, yeah. you know, just little tweaks to make the duck boat a duck boat, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Are you hunting the river bottoms down there? Where you're at? So, I live right now um, very far north of Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, I, I came from Appleton, Wisconsin, which is mostly... It's if, if you look on a map, uh, there's Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is, you know, the big... You got the, the big... Uh, 
lake, whatever. Yeah. The Green Bay of Green Bay, right? Yeah. That funnels down to another, you know, Lake Winnebago. And then if you go even past that, then you get in the Horicon Marsh, the second largest marsh in the in the world. So Appleton, Wisconsin's kind of nestled right in those three areas. So it was phenomenal goose hunting. Um, and I love field goose hunting, so that's what I did. But I moved three and a half hours north for this job at St. Croix, and it's all like lakes, like yeah. small to large lakes. So it's really been a transition to like becoming a lake hunter, and it's uh, it's very different. I'll tell you that it's way different. <laughs> a lot of wet mornings. <laughs> yeah, a lot of wet cold mornings. <laughs> yeah, but pretty cool. I mean, we have a variety of birds up here. I had an amazing opening day. I scouted this spot early season. Um, uh, we've got rice lakes up here. Yeah. And so found the spot, like, we got there before. We actually got there, I think, at 9 or 10 p.m. Wow. the day before opener. And the plan was like, you know, we're going to get there, mark our spot, maybe take a nap. Nap never happens. You know, it's opening yeah. morning. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, okay, so this lake is, I don't want to, 200 acres or something. It's not it's very big. Okay. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe three groups, maybe four groups of guys would like show up and, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal. I think, I, th- I was like, I-, I think four groups of guys would be okay. Yeah. Uh, 13 groups of guys showed up, <laughs> uh, rained on all morning pellets, like kind of nervous for our well being half the morning. <laughs> but we had the best spot in the lake. We shot a pile of birds. It was a blast. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause we've, uh, we do a little bit of lake hunting around here as well. Um, just like during the week or whatever, don't, if we don't have class and it's, it's fun. I mean, I love getting out on the lake. Oh yeah, man. I mean, like the variety up here and I'll say like every day I hunted this year, I hit it perfect. I've never done this before. I only hunted a couple days with the new job and kids and all this. It was, yeah. it was a crazy fall, but every day I hunted, we had a great day. So like opener, it was like woodies and mallards and teal. And then fast forward a couple of weeks, we're shooting hooded mergansers and bluebills and golden eyes. And I mean, it was like, I, I, I think we shot 13 different species of ducks or something stupid, like the first two months of season. So um, never really shot this variety of birds before in a season. It was pretty wild. That's awesome. So, yeah, man, it's it's a cool place to be. But at the same time, the duck hunting, like it does kind of suck up here. Like it's not like sweet duck hunting. It's like, you know, you you pick a couple of good days and and you're lucky. And, you know, this year we got lucky. Like we had some good cold fronts um, and I just hunted the right days. But I wouldn't like tell anybody, hey, come up to northern Wisconsin. Uh, It's not a great place to duck hunt. We just occasionally get a few ducks. Yeah, and it looks like uh, you guys have some pretty big water spreads. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to though, man. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things I, I learned from hunting with guys down on Lake Michigan, 
um, was you can't, I, I'm a believer, and there's going to be guys that listen to this that'll fight with me on social media. I get it. Yeah, as always. I don't, yeah, right. Everybody's got an opinion, and everybody's opinion is worthless, right? Yeah. Um, this is just another worthless opinion. But I don't think, like, you can go out and diver hunt unless you have 100 decoys. Like, yeah. I don't feel like if you're going to diver hunt, it's not even worth firing your boat up unless you have a hundred. And we saw that, uh, like the first day of diver hunting this year, we, there was, we were on an Island. There was a group on the North side of the Island and there was our group and the North side of the Island had three dozen. We had like 120 decoys out, I think. Jeez. And we shot all morning and they shot twice. Yeah. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth, but I, I don't go diver hunting unless I know I got a spread of a hundred. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm with you on that. We, uh, we're fortunate enough on a couple spots up north where we're able to dive or hunt on some like private ponds or whatever that are rice ponds. Um, even the river too. I feel like, yeah, you got to throw a pretty decent sized spread if you want to shoot divers. Yeah, man. I mean, they just, they just don't mess around with the small stuff and it's, it's a bummer. And like my buddy was one of my buddies who have gotten into duck hunting came out and He's like, ah, you know, I, he lives on a uh, another big river chain in the middle of Wisconsin. And he's like, yeah, I know we get divers, you know. How many do I need? I said, well, dude, I said, unless you're going to drop, like, a couple grand and, like, you know, do it right, like, you probably just should find mallards or something. Yeah. Because, you know, and oh, by the way, you don't own a boat, so you should probably buy a boat. Like, <laughs> you know, the list kind of goes on and on with, with diver hunting, so... Oh yeah, just things just keep adding up. Even like you think you got everything, and then you're like, nope, I uh, still need that, still need that, and yep. <laughs> yeah, not not many people can afford being field hunters and diver hunters. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you either pick one or you have a lot of friends, and y'all kind of split it up. You know. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And uh, I was looking at your. I remember watching this last year about that little canoe trip you did out on the Mississippi. How was that? Yeah, man. Yeah. So, uh, my buddy, um, I'm trying to remember how this precipitated, but so we like to do like little trips every, every year, uh, you know, kind of do something new and, um, man, I can't remember exactly how it came about, but I think I, I must've gotten permission from my wife to, to do something <laughs> for a weekend somewhere. I don't know how I got, I got away with that, but, uh, I was like, I knew we had to do like a little trip and, yeah. Oh, you know what? Sorry. I do know what happened. My best buddy came down with COVID mm. and we were kind of sketched out about hunting. He was better. Um, I block off that couple of days every year to hunt with him and they ended up actually shooting um, snow geese, uh, speckle bellies and like ridiculous amounts of Canada those days that I missed hunting with them and I was super mad because we don't shoot those snows or specks in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I miss out on that hunt but I take my buddy uh, out to the Mississippi and we've never really hunted the Mississippi. I hunted it once with a guide, like taking photos. Yeah. Um, so it's like basically completely DIY Mississippi hunt. I had a little bit of intel on where to look for birds, but to be honest, uh, we didn't exactly know where the birds would be. Yeah. So we get out there and we, I think we spent 18 hours the first day we got out there at like 3 a.m. Ended up dragging a canoe like 
a mile and a half. Um, yeah, it was stupid. And we brought way too much gear. And As always. We, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, we, we were like, oh, we'll be out there for half a day. You know? Yeah. So we drew, we drank like this huge battery and like a trolling motor. And so shoot one bird in the morning. We go scouting. Don't really realize how far away we get. And we're like, okay, this could end badly. Like, it's like three o'clock. Um, we have like miles to paddle. Like, yeah. And then we have to drag this canoe another mile and a half. And so, anyways, it, it ended the first day ended up being like kind of disappointing, like way more work than we anticipated. And then the second day, we checked out a new spot. Another bad day, missed a chance on a flock of birds. And we're leaving. And we like pack up, we drive a mile from the boat landing and there's 200 teal off the road. We're like, can we hunt that? Look on Onyx, you know, dude, we can hunt it. We unload everything, drop it and have just a banger hunt. And it was like, there was redemption that we needed. And I sent one of the birds to the taxidermist and I'm like, dude, this was like too good of an experience not to have a bird mounted, you know? Yeah. But that was wild, man. And that, that just goes to show you, you just... You just go on a trip, like expect the best and like make it happen. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm with you on that. Just got to keep on grinding away. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, it, it, it gave us a whole new level of like uh, just, you know, comfort and like, you know, willpower to know we go pretty much anywhere on the planet, and, like make a hunt happen, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, I was looking at your Diverge 6 winter photo. How how did that all come about? Yeah, so uh, that was actually, that, so that kid in that photo, um, his name's Steven, he's one of my best buddies. That's who I took to the Mississippi River. That Diverge photo was his first diver hunt ever and his second, uh, his second duck hunt ever. So wow. um, <laughs> I had been, the year previous to that photo, I had been on what I would consider a traumatic duck hunt. And I call it traumatic because we got stuck in 10 footers on Lake Michigan in a 20 foot, 21 foot bay boat. And like, like bad, bad. Like uh, we had at one point we're driving back. We had went out there to shoot old squaws and um, it was kind of rough in the morning. And I, I, I asked the guy to pull me out in about four footers. Um, we were in layout boats yeah. and we had a tender boat and the other guy that was out there, his name's Cole, really cool dude, pilot, like adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Um, he's in like six footers shooting old squaws. Like he's going up a wave and then back down, like straight down. Right. And oh just God. smashing old squaws in six footers. So at about that six foot mark, I started like panicking. I'm like, we got to get out of here, guys. Like, this is sketchy, right? Um, I don't want this to get worse. So at one point, I'm like telling the guys, look, cut the lines on everything. Let's just get out of here and make it back alive. And they're laughing at me like, you know, kind of like that nervous chuckle, like you're probably right, but we're not about to lose like six grand a year. Yeah. <laughs> so we somehow managed to get, you know, and each one of these lines has is like 100 feet down. So you're cranking up like, I don't know, 20 pound weights of like 100 foot of line each, and there's like 10 of them. So it takes us an, like an hour to get yeah. packed up. So we're finally like 
making it back to shore in 10 footers and i'm like okay i'm in waders if i go over it's 30 degree water you know i'm like thinking about like uh death and like you have three minutes if you go overboard before you know hypothermia sets in and like i'm like running this through my head and we're surfing like 10 foot waves like we're getting on the top of 10 foot waves and gunning it riding the waves and like dude it's bad and i'm like okay guys like i need a life jacket Where's a life jacket? Yeah. <laughs> There's one life jacket on the boat. Um, I take the one life jacket because I'm the oldest guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like strip off into my I strip off into my base layer, take off my waders and like put this life jacket on and I'm freezing. Like I'm, it's thirty degrees out. Yeah. And we make it back and like kissing the ground, right? So this is the year before I take the diverge photo. And I've basically sworn off diver hunting. Um, like big water, like Michigan diver hunting because yeah. of this. So my buddy calls me that morning. It's like 2 a.m. or whatever. We're going to drive up, meet the guys to go diver hunting. And I'm telling him, I said, look, but I said, the weather could get bad. Like we're looking at the weather reports. Like we know by 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. It's going to be rollers of like six footers, seven footers. Like, I don't know if I want to do this. And he's like, dude, it'll be fine. Like, it's going to be awesome. Like, he's like, he's just this hype guy. Like, he's all about the experience and all this. And he'll get you killed, but he'll also probably save your life at the same time. So yeah. I'm like, all right, man, like, let's do it. I know it's your first diver hunt. Like, I'm not going to poo-poo on that. Like, let's just go. Yeah. So we get there, and it's one of the coolest mornings I've ever had in a boat. It's like two foot rollers but they're super far apart so we're like jumping rollers in this boat like it was so wild beautiful morning like ducks flying everywhere and we get in the layout boats like i get in first this other guy gets in the other one and we shoot like two ducks right off the bat switch shooters out Mm -hmm. um and then they shoot some ducks and it was like we're out there for like half hour hour and like it's not supposed to get bad for like six hours so it's getting bad like out of nowhere and we're like like i'm having flashbacks of the year prior my grade i'm gonna have another near death experience on like michigan um and so we started making it back and it wasn't as bad as here before but it, it was getting bad and to the point where like on the way back we hit a wave and it would come over the front and swamp the boat oh my god and but the cool thing was was the sun was rising at the same time so when we'd hit these like rogue these big rogue waves it'd send the bow down we'd smoke a wave and the water would just vaporize like completely vaporized and the light coming from i think it was my left side would just illuminate the vaporized water and i had my camera tucked away i think this this was probably about the time i bought a pelican but um either way i had tucked away and underneath the seat and so my buddy was like dude because he knew i wanted to win diverge i i tried winning the year before yeah. I didn't take a good enough picture, but in my mind I did, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, okay. I was like, yeah. I deserve to win it, but I took like shit pictures the year before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so my buddy's like, dude, he's like, this could be the Diverge photo. And I'm like, I, I saw it. Like, immediately saw the picture in my mind. And like, I'm going to be honest, um, that doesn't happen most days, right? Like, yeah. I, I've been shooting for a decade, and like, most of the time, 
when you envision a picture, it never turns out the way you saw it in your mind. Uh, at least for me, I, maybe I'm not that good, but, uh, I saw the picture in my mind. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like if I can pull this off, um, like this is going to be a pretty sick picture. Yeah. So we timed the waves and getting my camera out of the case because, you know, my camera's like not waterproof. Yeah. So we, we timed getting the camera out of the case with the waves, right? I shove it in my jacket pocket. So my next thing is, is I have probably one shot at this because I'm sitting on the bow and with my back, you know, with my back to the waves and I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, if I hit one of these, these, you know, eight foot, whatever rogue waves, like it, it comes from behind me and it smokes me. It literally pushes me into the guy in front of me. who's the guy in the photo. Yeah. So my camera's going to be soaked. I'm going to be soaked and there's a good chance I, you know, ruin many thousands of dollars in camera here. <laughs> so I tell him, you know, don't, don't like, you have to tell me when there's a monster wave. Like you have to tell me when it is the biggest wave because I got one shot. Yeah. Literally. I said, and when that happens, I said, you have to look like you're on a roller coaster and you're having the best time of your life. And we were like, it wasn't like forced. Like we were all laughing yeah. when we'd hit a wave and it exploded. We get so like, it was one of those moments where the suck was actually like fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't forced, but it wasn't enhanced, right? I just said, make sure you have a good expression on your face. Well, I'm sitting there and they're like, dude, dude, dude. I'm like, what? They're like, it's a monster, like a, just a giant wave. I'm like, all right, cool. So, uh, and you can kind of feel it, you know, you know when you're going to dip down and smoke a big one because you just go down farther. Yeah. And so I got my back, I have my camera on burst. There was no way I was changing lenses. I was happy I had a wide angle lens on. And... I just set my settings super quick, kind of guessed at what they thought they'd be. Um, and that wave hit, man, and I smashed that shutter down. The wave took me into my buddy that was in front of me. I smoked him. Um, and I get done, and my camera is seriously soaked. I mean, like, totally soaked. So I shut my camera up, I threw it in, and I said, I think I got the shot. I said, but I'm not looking. I'm like, I'm not going to lie, like that camera could be completely fried, but I think I got the shot. So it wasn't until that night uh, that I took the, put the camera, put the, the card in my camera, and I knew I had the shot. And I was like, you know, thank God, because there was not a second shot of that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a one shot kind of a thing, and that was it. <laughs> wow, that's intense. Yeah, dude, it was wild. I, I, and I haven't been back out on Lake Michigan since. <laughs> No plans to either. I've shot my old squad. <laughs> uh, two and done type deal. Usually it's a one and done, but it was a two and done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had I had been out three years, or three. I guess three years before that diverge photo, I had been out on a on a guided hunt when the old squad hunting was unbelievable, um, and I had shot a pretty good stud that I mounted, uh, but. You know, the, the crazy thing about old squaws is we don't know anything about them. Yeah. Um, they're just now researching them. And the, the hunting, it, from my per, my point of view, um, the hunting has really gone down on them. Um, they, those last two times I went out, I didn't see very many. And, yeah. you know, there's 80 boats out there. There'll be 70, 80 boats out there hunting really? old squaws now, where when I was out there, you know, five years ago now there was 10 you know there's a handful so they're getting kind of pounded and we just don't know enough about them to really 
know what the limit should be. And I mean, most guys that go out there, they shoot six and you have six guys Jeez. in a boat. I mean, you're shooting 36, boat, you know, 36 birds a day. And if there's 10 guides out there, you know, I mean, the numbers are just absurd. And, you know, I love old squaws. I think they're gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I love hunting them. They're super fun, but I've got my one. If I never hunt squaws again, man, I mean, it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to be too hurt about it, but um, I'm, I'm hoping the research comes out and good research and we find out more about them and can manage them, I think, more sustainably. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, I haven't seen, like you're saying, I haven't seen much, much research at all about them. I no. Mean, and they're just starting. And, like, that, that day that I felt like I almost died on Lake Michigan, um, there was a, a grad student there who would collect samples from the guides and stuff. And, uh, I mean, I, I could be wrong now, but if I remember correctly at the time, like we had no idea. We think they bred like somewhere in the great, like Northern great lakes, okay. but like their success in breeding was unknown. Like it was, there's a, so many question marks around that species. And, I, I feel like they could be a species that's in danger. Like the pintails we've seen, like we go from like six birds to one, right? Yeah. I would not be surprised by that at all. Yeah. Wow. I'd even think about that. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think, uh, like you were saying, I just haven't seen any, anything about old squaws. You never see yeah. them banded. Like you never see anything about them, any research on them. It's just always, I feel like, um, just the big thing is mallards i feel like yeah well i mean look at bluebills i mean the bluebill limit for a lot of the season went down from three to two yeah um and it, you know i mean we we pay as a as a i don't want what the word is as a our our scientists have spent i feel like way more time on on the the quote-unquote sexy birds, right? Mallards, yeah. pintails, and the, the energy and the funding probably hasn't been there for, for the divers where, you know, I mean, we, we keep seeing these divers' numbers keep going down and the bag limits keep going down and nobody knows what's going on. And mm -hmm. it's, it's frustrating because, you know, diver hunting is kind of close to my heart and I love shooting them as much as the next guy, but, you know, we, we got to make sure we're, being responsible as hunters. So I, I hope that that comes sooner than later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like they do a lot of research and banning projects just on those. I mean, I don't want to say like easier ducks to capture, but like, um, I just feel like they're doing a lot of mallard ducks, pintails, like you were saying, the sexy ducks, and just not enough on what it is for bluebills, old squaws, divers. Cause I mean, back i was talking to my grandpa about this he's like we used to like smash the shit out of bluebills and now like yeah you just don't really see them i mean you do but it's like not like how it used to be man i, I tell you what some of um and that, it probably depends where you are too but i mean around the time of that diverge photo um those same guys took me out for uh, bait hunting for for bluebills and i mean I have never had so much fun in my life. Yeah. And we shot, like, I mean, the flocks of bluebills we had, um, you know, three, four years ago were absurd. I mean, we'd have a flock of 100, you know, yeah. 50, 100 fly in. Now, again, that's that's the Bay of Green Bay, right? Um, very big body of water. And, like, up here in Park Falls, um, Wisconsin, you know, I'm told, you know, 
there's bluebill hunting and I'm sure there is on some places, but I expected to see a lot of bluebills and I don't, I think I saw a handful, right? Yeah. So some of it's regional, but I agree. I mean, the, that bluebill limit going down from three to two was kind of like a, oh man, like what's going on? Like yeah. these birds, like I've seen flocks of 50 to 100 and now we can only shoot two. Like that can't be a good sign, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. I mean, even just in my experience on hunting divers up north in northern Minnesota, so like the Brainerd area, um, we do a lot of diver hunting up there, usually when the season closes down south. And uh, like we used to, I mean, I want to say, so it was before I could drive, so that was five years ago. Um, yeah, we used to see a bunch of bluebills and we'd shoot a bunch of them. I mean, even early in the year, like we, I remember going out for opener and we were shooting bluebills on this pond. And now mm-hmm. it's just like, it's just all ring necks and whatever it is. I don't know if the flight patterns have changed at all or what, but we're just not seeing as many as we used to. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Have you ever hunted in the Grand Rapids area? Um, yeah, I was actually up there um, for our season break this year. Really? Okay. Yeah. I we, we did a photo shoot there for work uh, earlier this year, and uh, a local was telling me about his. Uh, I don't know how much you want to talk about this on a on a public uh, on a public forum, but yeah. he was telling me how many birds he'd shot in the season up there, and I was um, shocked, I guess, at the, the the large number of birds he had had success uh, at harvesting. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, hmm, I might have to come and revisit this one one of these years. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, dude, they have a, because I, so I have a buddy that's from Grand Rapids and uh, now he lives in Bemidji, goes to school over there. And I met him through one of my really good buddies who's his roommate. Um, and so we went up there this year and chased geese around um, like on the east side uh, or west side of I want to say Red Lake but we chased cranes and geese up there and <laughs> went and scouted there's like they have this big big river like public land area that you can go hunt for ducks um, we went and scouted around there and they're just he's like yeah I don't know what's going on there just isn't a bunch of ducks around here right now um it's cold enough but i mean we did see just a lot of ringnecks and a lot of uh mallards but not i mean we saw some bluebills too but this wasn't what it usually is at that time of year huh yeah I, one of the one of the interesting things that i had never heard of um it talked about by anybody i mean literally i mean i've never heard anybody talk about this yeah is that the ducks up there will get piled up on lakes that have freshwater shrimp. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I mean, I can't tell you if I've ever seen a freshwater shrimp. I don't think I have, but, um, that to me was like, okay, this is really cool that a, this even exists, but yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, uh, I could easily see a duck being interested in something like a freshwater shrimp. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was, uh, actually one of, one of my older guy, older buddies and, uh, one of my mentors, um, he just bought a lake and they, put in a bunch of freshwater shrimp out there for divers mm, that's and cool. yeah so they're doing a bunch of work up there putting in rice it's, it's he bought like this own little private lake and uh putting a bunch of wild rice in and then freshwater shrimp and stuff because i mean you don't really see like unless you're up north 
in northern Minnesota, you don't see freshwater shrimp down here like you would in like North Dakota. North Dakota, they're sure. everywhere, dude. Really? Like, I huh. I don't know if you've hunted water in North Dakota or been over there. No. But uh, like you go into ponds and you're like picking up decoys and they're like hanging on your decoys, and they're just, really they're thick. It's insane. Well, that that explains a lot. I no, I to be honest with you, I didn't even know freshwater shrimp were a thing um, until you said that. And what's crazy is there's a lake up in northern Wisconsin. I think there's a couple of them where there's freshwater jellyfish as well. Wow. And uh, yeah, you have to have like perfect, you know, perfect kind of water and yeah. you know, all all that you know stuff and but i haven't seen them either but um yeah I, it's just you know the, the natural world is so fascinating and just when you think you do everything you know something like freshwater shrimp freshwater jellyfish exists and you're like your mind is blowing you're like a kid again you know yeah oh yeah no i because i didn't really realize that they were a thing and then my buddy was like yeah like we've been put or trying to put freshwater shrimp in here they've been doing all right not the best but they're like they keep they keep getting better in our lake and whatnot and i'm like oh yeah absolutely he shows me a picture i'm like dude i see these all over north dakota like i never knew that was what it was until like he really like showed me a picture of them I'm like that's funny because i mean you never like whenever you listen to like podcasts or youtube videos like people are like oh you gotta scout you know and here's what you scout for never once has anybody ever said yeah i scout for freshwater shrimp yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's never happened in the history of the internet i don't think no i don't think i don't think that's ever been the case i've never heard it uh, but it's a great like the divers love them like they just absolutely eat them up and uh like that's what i uh like would look for when i'd hunt over in north dakota sometimes we used to hunt divers a little bit but now we're basically back to just field hunting out there but when we did it was like huh i wonder how many like if you scoop your hand in the water how many freshwater shrimp you're gonna just pull up just by dumping your hand in it's a lot like no kidding i wonder why like you don't see them more often in like southern minnesota um just because like if you think about it and then i was i forgot who i was talking to about it but they're like yeah a lot of the times they'll just like hook onto birds or whatever and then they'll just hop around in each pond and kind of reproduce and that's how they kind of spread around north dakota and i'm surprised they just really haven't started pushing more south um, yeah, yeah. They, I, I mean, it's like everything else, you know, out there. It's there's just got to be specific conditions, I'm sure. And yeah, I'm sure there's a line where you know they can't go any farther south or whatever. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's fascinating, though. And so, do you do a lot of DIY stuff in, in North Dakota? Yeah, it's all freelance stuff. Um, <laughs> like we're doing all. We take about two trips a year, I'd say. And okay. It's, I mean, we've, we've covered the whole state basically. I mean, should I've been up to two years ago, we were up in Crosby, which is literally the Montana Canada border. Um, and we were hunting on the border for snow. It was like, you could literally like, you have like the station of where you can go into Canada and like, we're <laughs> like 200 yards from that. <laughs> it's literally the field on the border. And, uh, like, that's gotta be a hike, man. That's pretty far West. Oh yeah, dude. It's like twelve hour drive, I think. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. And 
like our theory was or mine was when i was kind of scouting around because we usually go around october like mid-october and i'm like yo we want to go chase snows um and they had that huge snowstorm come up and i was like okay well the snows aren't going to be want to be in the snow here's the snow line of where it was at um i wonder if we just went over far west how good it would be and i mean dude there were snows everywhere like they were everywhere and nobody was waterfall hunting it was all moose hunters and all pheasant hunters like was it is that pretty rural i mean are you like in the middle of nowhere way out there oh yeah dude there's like a gas station like and it's like a it's like a like a farmer's um like a farmer's gas station whatever they call it like the farmer's community gas station and then that's like the only gas station within like 100 miles like it's there's literally yeah. nothing out there <laughs> like yeah just, i feel like that's what most of montana's like like you hit yeah. a gas station every 100 miles and you have to stop <laughs> exactly and it's just like a bunch of oil rigs and stuff and uh because i was talking to like the hotel manager they're like oh you guys up here hunting i'm like yeah and i'm like oh uh you get like a moose tag or whatever i'm like nope we're actually waterfowl hunting they're like what and i'm like yeah we're uh chasing snow geese and they're like oh i've never really heard of anyone coming up here for waterfowl hunting, but okay and those places in the world are becoming harder and harder to find yeah oh no kidding and so how'd you guys do on that hunt though? you did pretty good yeah we uh we beat them up pretty good i mean the first day one of my buddies that was scouting around for us i mean we beat the piss out of the ducks the first day and then he was doing a little night scout on where we saw those snows uh the earlier the morning and they switched they switched fields to feed at night Mm. and i was like okay well we could set up there um the hide's not good at all and the field we were looking at i mean the hide was unbelievable in that field and i'm like okay we'll just like I, if they were there, I guess like that's where we're going to have to go. And so we set up there and we only shot like, I think 30 snows that morning, which is still good. Like if you shoot 30, <laughs> if you shoot 30 honkers, like you're living it up. <laughs> you're fired up, man. Yeah. <laughs> and so they kept going into the field that they were in the morning and I'm like, okay, well, that's a little learning lesson on if they're going to be there in the morning, probably should go hunt the field that they were in that morning before instead of the one they were in the night before um but then after that we uh it was actually like three of my buddies were like man i want to shoot ducks i don't want to shoot snows and i'm like well i don't know what you like want to do i mean there's no really ducks around here and the one duck hole that there was like we shot them out of there and so they actually like went back all the way to fargo and it was me and another guy and we're like we just wanted to chase snows like that's what i come to north dakota to do um like that's what we're gonna do like we we're all we're already up here like there's a bunch of snows let's do it and so we stayed and we found this feed of like forty thousand snows (laughs) and we're like this is set like we're gonna just beat them up tomorrow and it's just going to be the two of us because there's literally nobody else out here. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, man, like, whatever, let's do it. And uh, so we're watching this field and we drive around it to go look on the other side and a truck pulls up. And I thought it was just like a regular farm work truck or whatever. And he's like, you aren't thinking about hunting that field in the morning. I'm like, oh, um, well, we are going to. Uh, 
there wasn't like any posted signs around because like the rule in North Dakota is yep. if it's yep. not posted, like you can go hunting. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, like we're planning on hunting. And he's like, well, I actually farm this field and we were going to hunt in the morning. I'm like, okay. Um, and so we start talking a little bit and he's like, yeah, never really hunted snow geese before. Um, we were just going <laughs> to give it, we were just going to give it a go. And I'm like, Hey man, like we have like a bunch of decoys. Like, we have like 60 dozen socks and like some full bodies and stuff like that. And like, we'd love to kind of like help you guys out and like hunt together or whatever. And, um, he's like, yeah, he's like asking questions. Like, how would you set up? How would you do this? I'm like, yeah, like we can show you that all in the morning. And like, here's like what we would do or whatever. So it's like, let me know if you'd want to hunt. And like, all right. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll shoot you a message. Cause they had like six guys or whatever. And it's like sure. lo- local guys. And, uh, like, yeah, they call me later that night. They're like, yeah, as long as you want to sleep in the field, you're good to go. And we were going to sleep in the field anyway because we're like, shit, we're not going to go get a hotel for two guys. Like, we'll just sleep in the truck. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> just running running on uh, fumes. And we're just like, all right, yeah, like that, that'll be perfect. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll do that for you guys. No problem. No worries. And uh, I went with him that next morning. And I think we shot like, I don't know, 50 snows. But the thing was like, they were, since they've like never really snow goose hunted before, um, there was a couple rough shot calls. Like they were Mm -hmm. like, they, they would call them at like the first 15 birds to be in the decoys. And there's a thousand cupped up, locked in that are coming in. And I'm like, boys, we got to wait. Or they would like call the shot too late on like the Roskies because they come in and they're just flipping left and right. And so by the time you pull up, like they're behind Mm. you and you can't shoot. And so we should have had like easily like a hundred bird day, but it was just like some rough shot calls on it. And we're like, it's fine. Like no big deal. Um, and we went out with them and I'm like, I'm talking to them like, shit, like scout that night. They're back in there. They're like, Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's we'll go do it again tomorrow. I'm like, perfect. Um, so we go back out there again for the second day. And I think we shot like 72 oh, man. and we were just lighting them up. I mean, we were shot calls were ideal. Like we were just, just beating them up. And, uh, yeah, so that, that worked out in our favor and then got to meet some great guys, local guys, been talking to them ever since. And, uh, Heck yeah. That's and, what you gotta do, man. Yeah. And then, so like, they had like two buddies from Virginia, um, a guy from Bismarck and then a guy from Crosby and then another guy from Crosby. And it was just like a bunch of good dudes, just fun to go, um, home with some locals like that. And we just slept in the field for two days in a row. Tired, but it happens. Hey, man, you know what? That truck got that truck's pretty comfortable on that second night of no sleep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I laid back in the back seat. I'm like, hey, this isn't too bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I have to admit, I've never been snow goose hunting. It's high on my list. Um, I, you, uh, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but you know, everybody I know that. Uh, the stories I hear about snow goose hunting, um, I'm nervous to do it because like I've heard of guys like, you know, taking four days off or whatever to go do it. And then they don't get on birds, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not that like, I wouldn't take that risk. It's like, 
why take that risk when you know you go somewhere and shoot birds? And yeah, I mean, obviously the reward is worth it. I mean, having tornadoes of thousands of white birds over your head and shooting at them, yeah. um, you know, that's obviously a clear, clear reward. But man, I'm nervous. I mean, to to go after it like that. Yeah. Oh, I hear you, dude. The thing is, like, I love shooting them in the fall. Like, that's my bread and butter. If I could go <laughs> shoot snows in the fall in North Dakota every day, like, I would love that because they're just dumb. You don't, like, you can't use e-collars, so it's all mouth calling and stuff <laughs> like that. And uh, and it's just like, I don't know what it is. They're just so, they come out of Canada and they're dumb and they just want to play around and it's just how it is and i was yeah, actually i don't know anybody that hunts them in the fall everybody you know that hunts them hunts them you know in the spring yeah i shouldn't probably be saying this but it's slept on <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you probably shouldn't be telling the whole world this because man i i'm not gonna lie to you you're, you're making you're, you're giving me visions in my head right now <laughs> well, that's what i hope to portray because i mean it's fun dude like and i i couldn't make it on uh one of my buddies trips this year they went out and for like four days and chased them and I was supposed to go, but I had like school or something that came up. And I mean, I think they shot, they shot a hundred the first day, I think 115 the second day, like 70 the third, and then like 90 the fourth, like just beat the Come piss on. out of them. Just beat Come on. the piss out of them, dude. And Man, you didn't ammunition sponsor be shooting that much. <laughs> oh, exactly. And they had like, I don't know, probably, 10 guys out there whatever it was but i mean they were they were tearing them apart and i was so mad that i couldn't make that trip uh, yeah that burns you up man i mean that's the kind of stuff that gets you all riled up you know yeah. i'm like i really got to be to school be in school to miss this like you're kidding well aren't you like aren't you gonna start a guide business what do you need that fancy degree for yeah exactly exactly that's my <laughs> we're about to start rolling here come on now that's right dude i mean Come on, you're wasting these precious years of your, of your youth. Oh, I heard that. I heard that. We're going <laughs> to give her hell this year. And, uh, I mean, if it turns into something good, which hopefully I think got the envisions on it. And, uh, I mean, nobody nobody really guides around where we're at. So it's like you have all this opportunity to take people out. Like, might as well take advantage of it. Well, and, come on. Uh, Joe Heights is somewhere near you. He is. He's up north. Is he really? Yeah. No yeah. So he's like, I don't know, like two hours up north of us. So like okay. he's in kind of his own area and then gotcha. we're going to be hunting like mainly south of us. So we're not really sure. kind of playing that ball, but he's, yeah, he does a lot of guiding where he's at. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm a big believer in if you have a dream and a passion and um, you work hard at it and you, you put your time and your energy and, and you know, you love it. It's, it'll work out, you know? And yeah. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, guiding is a passion. Yeah. No, nobody's a guide because they kind of like it. Like, there's there's no room for that in any guiding industry. Yeah. Um, you have to love it, and I mean that's the thing. If you love it enough and, and you want to work at it, you know, you'll make it happen, no problem. Yeah. And the thing was, like, we've done it for the past two years, but not like a big deal. I mean, we've only ran like 30 clients a year and that's no advertising, nothing like just people sure. hitting me up on Instagram um, asking to come hunt. So I'm like, well, if we can do 30 clients a year with absolutely zero advertising at all, 
like I think we could really make something happen just to fill the season up and it really lit a fire under me again after because I was down with Cadillac Creek um, in Texas like two weeks ago sure and cool. they invited me down to go hunt with them Toby was on the podcast and uh, he's like yeah come down and hunt like just hang out and dude hanging out with them like chasing birds and doing all that kind of stuff it just was like dude I could do this and get paid like come on now like I, like it's not gonna be the same like shooting birds down in Texas but like watching the clients down there enjoy it so much and if I could bring that to other people like in a real life scenario like I would love to do that yeah man I mean I, I was I got lucky enough to do a hunt with Dry Creek Outfitters in Oklahoma this year yeah um, and seeing those dudes and getting to sit down with some of those guys that were guys there was one guy there i'm gonna screw this up i apologize if you're listening but i think he was from like maine or massachusetts or something like he was from like the far northeast yeah coast you know like thousands of miles away and you know his whole thing was like look man i get to do what i love every day i chase birds at night i kill them in the morning and yeah. you know i get to see people smile like what's not to love about this and, uh, I mean, look, man, if, if you got that bug and that itch and had I got that before I met my wife, like, dude, I would have been in your shoes, man. I've been all over that. I'd have been guiding for something because once you get that bug in you, 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 you just can't get it out. No, not at all. And I mean, talking with guys like you and just all the people I've talked on the podcast and just, they describe on, man, I guide, I do this. I just love what I do. Like, I just yeah. absolutely love what I do. I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, this is just me, and I can do this every day. Like, how can you beat it? And I've just been thinking about that so much lately on how can I make something of myself and do something like that, whether it's guiding the podcast, whatever it is, um, and just kind of build that all together. And listening to all these different stories and, you know, learning some different tactics on how to chase birds that maybe they do in Washington or maybe they do in Texas that I could maybe bring back to Minnesota and be like, hey, let's try it. If it doesn't work, great, yep. but at least we tried it. Like, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. So my, my biggest mentor, uh, two, two really big waterfall hunting mentors, and unfortunately I moved away from them when I took this job. Yeah. But um, the one guy you'll, you'll never, you'll never hear. You, you, the, nobody's ever gonna write a movie about him, most likely. Maybe not. But yeah, um, he's. Uh, if you know who Matt McCormick is, yeah, um, he taught Matt McCormick how to goose hunt. Okay. Um, so Matt McCormick's uh, Matt McCormick's aluminum cart article he just came out with. Yeah. He made that article because he'd seen the aluminum carts that my other hunting buddy or my other hunting mentor had shown him, right? Okay, yeah. So, so like, he has learned from some of the dudes that I've been learning from, and these guys are unbelievable. But, and hopefully I don't get in trouble for saying this, but <laughs> the the one, well, the one of the two mentors, he actually calls geese the way they call, um, uh, the way they call, um, not cacklers, what are the, what are the, uh, Lessers uh, out in out in Oregon and Washington, oh, wow. and he calls them like that in Wisconsin. Hmm. And besides the other tactics he uses, like yeah. the geese just respond to it, and it makes no sense. Like yeah. why? Like why would lessers respond 
<laughs> you know, like our giant freaking Kansas that we have in Wisconsin. Like, why are they responding to that yeah. um, the way that they are? And I think it's just something different. But you can learn something from people all over this country and bring it here, and, and it'll probably work, you know, depending on what it is. That is so fascinating. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, dude. I'm with you. And, like, I mean, just learning about all these different scenarios of types of hunting just across the country um, and just how I can take a little piece of it and maybe bring it to Minnesota and say, hey, nobody is doing it here like they are out there. And maybe I can use that to my advantage because the geese don't see it or the ducks don't see it and make it more successful for us. If not, at least I tried it and uh, I gave it my all. But I mean, if it works out, like that's that's killer. Absolutely, man. I mean, absolutely. And there's there's just so much out there to learn. And, yeah. um, you know, you'll never learn it all. And, you know, your trick will work and for you and not for another guy. And that's just how it works, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I learned the hard way on that one time. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Like, it's just, it's really cool to you know, learn different tactics. Cause it's just, it's something new. It's something different. Like most people get stuck. I was talking to, uh, Ethan Gooch earlier today and he was filming, the um, the snow goose world championship. And he was behind the team that won it for the past two years. So he filmed that entire hunt and he's like, yeah, a lot of these guys are kind of stuck in their ways on how to kill snow geese. And yep. it's like, you really got to open your mind up and try different things because like they were saying, like guys love laying in whites for snow geese, right? And yep. that might've worked eight years ago, but now these snow geese are getting really smart and it's like, okay, maybe let's hop out of the spread and do like an A-frame type deal. So they mm-hmm. aren't seeing you, you're brushed in, like they're going to come, you like might not think they come right to the line where you're at but they will like there's just so many of them like and they just as long as they have confidence and they don't see you like they will be able to work into it isn't wasn't i thought i saw a study one time that talked about like how the majority of snow geese that are killed are juvies yeah and it's like well, why is that? Well, uh, because they, they get old and they get smart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anybody that thinks, again, I've never hunted them. So most of my, what I'm saying is based off of things I read, right? That yeah. makes me a terrible, terrible uh, human being, I know. But <laughs> it, they're fascinating in the fact that because of that, right? Like, what is it that makes them so smart, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what gives them that ability to get old and not get killed and... Um, that, that is one thing I find tremendously fascinating about snowkeys. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was reading a study on it as well on, they were talking, if a snow goose can make it down, make it back, make it down and make it back up again, like the chances of them getting killed is a super low percentage. Wow. Like it's very, very hard to kill those geese. And just because they live so long and they're... Hmm grandparents their parents whatever it is are like kind of showing them the ropes because i mean 
they were talking snow geese live up to 30 years old. Yeah, I, you know, I, I had heard that as well. I, I thought the number was close to 20, but I'm not in the loop on snows. But either way, whether it's 20 or 30, I mean, that's, you know, that's a heck of a long time for anything to yeah. get in, in nature. And you learn something if you get that old. There's no doubt. And, yeah. uh, man, it's, it's crazy to me to, to see that. And just the fact of their migration, how big it is and how long it is and yeah i mean how many opportunities they have to just see spreads and different setups and it's like you know what can you do differently right i mean a, let's be honest a frames are one of the most innovative things we've seen mm-hmm. you know common you know since layout blinds right yeah every layout blinds birds react differently layout blinds you know then guys were sitting like you said out in the decoys and now it's a frames and it'll probably back to layout blinds yeah but you always have to be evolving because especially snows i'm assuming because i mean they just get so dang smart yeah and i mean you think about it it's like uh i don't know like three thousand miles that they have to travel for the fall yeah. and then for the spring again and the amount Crazy. of spreads that they're seeing from arkansas all the way up to their nesting grounds in canada like well not all the way up but like all the way up in canada people are still shooting them during the spring mm-hmm. i mean the amount of spreads the e-callers are hearing the socks the people laying out like they just they just get so smart and the juvies like ethan ethan was saying dude literally they shot so they shot 473 on sunday and i think 460 of them were juvies see dude it's nuts yeah i mean it's it's absolutely nuts I mean, you've, I'm sure you've driven through Missouri, right? Yeah. If you've ever driven through Missouri in the fall, I mean, you don't go 50 miles without seeing a spread, like yeah. either in somebody's pond or out in the field. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. like, it, it's like, how many of those do they see before they're like, yep, that's fake. Yep, that's fake. You know what I mean? It's not, probably not too many after a year or two, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, it's uh, people just don't really understand how. I feel like how smart these birds really are like people take it for granted so easily they're like oh if we throw out 1200 socks and laying whites they're a dumb bird they're not going to realize like that we're in here and it's like you look at whatever it is the drone footage and stuff and it's like okay you pop out like a sore thumb yeah um like obviously these birds are going to see you and they're going to adjust to that because they're just like they get smarter just like everything else like if you're trying to get shot every day for four months from like february to may and then you get shot at again from september to well all year long you're getting shot (laughs) and so like you're just gonna learn no matter what you are because you're trying to get killed every day no no doubt man and you know one of the things i find incredibly fascinating um you know being in wisconsin is the past two years i feel like we have had exponentially more snow geese killed in the state every year for like at least the last two and it feels like it's been building for like the last five yeah um you know i haven't been lucky enough to shoot one i actually got extremely close um to shooting uh man i'm so I'm so bad. I'm like blanking on this uh, blue. Yeah. Yeah. Stogus that's got like blue on its head and all that. Yep. A blue goose. 
Blue Goose, yeah. I'm sorry, dude. I'm blanking so bad. So I had a Blue Goose in in a field in, um, I won't say the city, Appleton area, um, three years ago. And I was actually hunting with those hunting mentors of mine and my taxidermist. Oh, wow. And they still make fun of me for this, but that blue goose passed at like 30 yards. Like, but when it passed, they told me to shoot and I had to pull up and like swing really hard to the left, like really hard. Ooh. And I whiffed all three shots on this thing. And it was like the most beautiful bird I've ever seen in my life, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I was already like picturing that, like ha- literally handing this bird to my taxidermist who's on the blind next to me and like being like, I can't believe it. Well, anyways, I whiffed all three, right? Yeah. Uh, it's a big joke, which is hilarious <laughs> at my expense and also burns me up every day. Yeah. Um, so that's the only, that's the only snow goose type bird I've had a shot at in the state. But I would say every group of guys I hunt with has shot snow geese this last year, at least yeah. one. Yeah. And you know, we just keep seeing this trend. And, and I'm curious, is the flyway moving or are the birds expanding their range or is there such a population boom they literally have to spread out? Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen an answer on that. I don't know if you have, but that's to me is what's fascinating because I think fast forward 10 years at the rate we're going, it's going to be nothing for us to be setting up snow goose spreads. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you on that. I mean, just in the last four years, dude, like the amount of more birds that we've seen in our area, ducks and geese, and now even like snows and specks, they're just kind of hopping in on the roost. It's like, where are all these birds coming from? Like, yeah, is the flyway moving more towards us? Um, and kind of still in North Dakota and everything, but kind of dialing down and using that Minnesota area just because, I mean, they don't get shot at a bunch for snows and stuff, at least like they aren't getting hunted. Maybe that's something with it that they're like, Hey, we're getting shot every year on this area. If we move it a couple more miles, um, West or East or whatever it is, like, do we have a better chance to make it down the flyaway? And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the flyway is definitely kind of shifting a little bit. Yeah. You you know, you know, I, I don't know if you saw the film, um, uh, Kane Outdoors does it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he goes to every state. Yeah, I, so, had, I had him on earlier. I think it was episode like 24 or something. Ben, pa- ben, ben Potter? Pa- yeah. Oh, dude, that, like, if you want to talk about a dude I'm dying to meet, like, Ben Potter's on top of my list. Yeah, um, he's a but, beast. So, so that, the Wisconsin film they did, that guy, um, Aaron, I, I'm going to use the word compete fairly loosely, but him yeah. and my best buddy kind of compete for fields. Okay. Um, and so when he, what's crazy is that's the buddy who shot the spec this year. Yeah. Um, but in that film, they shoot like a hybrid, some like crazy hybrid dog. Mm-hmm. And, but anyways, like the fact that we're shooting specs and snows more frequently, like I have to believe the, the flyway is shifting a little bit. And they used to say snow geese basically used to just fly over the state of Wisconsin at night, right? Like yeah. you hear them at night, you never see them. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of agriculture and we've had a lot of mild winters lately. So, you know, I wonder if it's something to do with the mild winters, but it also just feels like that flyway is kind of shifting east a little bit. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I hope it does. I mean, I would, yeah. I would kill to be able to set up <laughs> snow goose spreads and shoot snow geese on occasion, you know? I mean, yeah. come on. Oh, exactly. And uh, I was 
one one guy I was looking at or reading about, and he was talking about like how Minnesota and Wisconsin, like why you're seeing more big geese and stuff like that come into our areas because of like the towns that we have, the big ponds that we have, um, the safety of it and like the grass fields, like park fields, whatever it is that, I mean, North Dakota doesn't really have cause it's all agricultural. And he was kind of just describing on like, okay, well, all these birds like have a safe area to feed, whatever, and mm-hmm. have these big like towns that they can go sit in and they aren't getting shot at all the time. And they have all these playground fields, like football fields, all this kind of stuff that they can go feed in. And they don't have to worry about really going out of town or whatever it is. And then when they do, like they get shot at, whatever, but then they just go back to their safety and then they know that they're safe there. And I'm wondering if that plays a factor in as well on, you know, like North Dakota just doesn't doesn't really have that. Cause they don't have many big towns like we do. And even sure. like the towns that are big that we have, I mean, we still have smaller towns that hold those kind of fields. Um, just because like where we're at and like all the stuff that goes on or whatever. But I wonder if that also plays a part in it. And you know, if that's a big factor for the geese that they're finally kind of catching on to, because I mean, I was talking to my grandpa, like, 20 years ago they didn't really have any geese in minnesota or like like there just wasn't really any or like even when he was a kid like it was super rare to see a goose and so to see that kind of pattern switch over and uh just start to see so many more birds come in um i wonder if that kind of plays a part in it as well yeah you know that is fascinating and one of the things that actually kind of touched on that concerns me you know coming from the appleton area it was something we were seeing happening as, as that city has really been growing is the urban sprawl and the fact that now these city boundaries are getting pushed out yep. into the country and i mean we were losing i don't want to say a field a year to this but i mean i know for a fact we lost two extremely high performing fields yep. due to urban sprawl and like, yeah. I mean, and those birds, they're still farm fields, right? They're still agriculture, but we can't hunt them. Yeah. And, you know, the goose hunting was good in Appleton, but it's not like phenomenal, right? I mean, like if you see a bird, if you see a field with a hundred birds in it, that's a huntable field, right? Like mm-hmm. we're not out in like North Dakota where you need a field of five or 600, right? Yeah. I mean, our limits are three geese. So, yeah. you know, you get a field of a hundred birds, it's game on, right? Exactly. So. You that if you have one field right and it sucks up four hundred birds, five hundred birds, whatever, even a hundred birds, and now you can't hunt it. I mean, that might be the only field for miles that gets geese, and now you're in another guy's territory because it's super competitive out there. Yeah, and it's like that urban sprawl thing is killing us. But on the flip side, <laughs> right, it's also creating more safe havens for geese. Um, and uh, dude, I would agree with that a thousand percent. I mean. The, the amount of green space and ponds just continues to expand. I mean, look at Chicago, right? Yeah. I mean, you go down to a place like Chicago where you can't hunt and there's hundreds, thousands of geese sitting on a lakefront or sitting in the, in the, in the county <laughs> pond or whatever, you know? Yeah. Oh, exactly, dude. And we, we've been running into the same problem too. I mean, some of our most high performing fields, just they're getting pushed into city limits. Oh, and then. Yeah. We've been hunting them for the past four years, 
and now it's just like okay well we can't hunt that anymore and it's still a farm field like you were saying but now you're just kind of like okay hopefully they jump out of that field and like kind of move on more out of town but luckily fortunate enough we this year we actually we had one of our best fields um pushed into city limits and the my mentor of mine who's taught me everything about waterfowl hunting it's his wife's dad who owns the field Mm. and so we've always hunted it whatever and he went up to the chief of police he's like hey like five guys that are always going to be out there hunting um and he he was able to get like a written permission slip on okay these five people can be out there and they can still shoot um but nobody else can wow and so that was pretty neat to be able to be a part of that and he was i was very fortunate enough to be on that list and uh it was pretty pretty neat to hear about that and just like I mean, it you can make it work in a sense, but a lot of work and the chances of you getting that is like super slim. But I mean, he was able to fortunate enough to pull it off. Um, yeah, no, I mean that's that's extremely lucky. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like you and, and like what you were saying about hunting with guys in North Dakota. I mean, look, I, I mean it's all over. I, I mean, everybody talks about this how much North Dakota is becoming privatized and posted, and it's like now's the time to go to these places meet the locals and be friends with them because yeah. good luck in 10 years good luck in 15 years <laughs> i mean these places the whole thing state's going to be posted you know exactly um, it's only a matter of time right yeah and i mean i feel like even this year it was a bigger deal because canada was closed <sighs> and I can't even imagine yeah and so people can't get up there and i'm seeing trucks like from everywhere that i've never even seen before i'm like who are all these people out here and yeah. uh it's just like so many more hunters were out there this year because they couldn't go to canada and i wonder how much of an effect that's going to play into the future and saying hey instead of going to canada maybe we just go to north dakota instead we still shot the piss out of them and we don't have to drive as far um maybe we just uh, stay in north dakota but at the same time yeah. like canada it's unreal like yeah like it's, it's yeah. just stupid up there my, my my buddy called me yesterday and he goes dude can you even fathom how good the fishing is going to be in canada if they open the border oh my god he's like i'm going he's like you know it's the same yeah. for waterfall these birds were hunted lightly yeah. up there like i mean it's it's going to be lights out yeah. I mean, yeah, yes, sure. There's going to be groups of guys that realize they don't have to drive 42 hours. Yeah. But at the same time, I think those all guys are also going to be like, well, shoot, those birds weren't on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get up there and be the first guys, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that as well. I mean, like, dude, uh, one of my buddies that goes to Canada every year, um, he was like, he was going into the border or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, like, what are you coming up here for? He's like, waterfowl hunting. He's like, you know, they travel south, right? Like, they think <laughs> they think we are so stupid for going up to Canada to shoot birds. It's, That's hilarious. And just like, because all they do up there is big game hunt. Like, you rarely yeah. see any locals that are actually chasing ducks and geese. Because um, they just, all they do is big game hunt up there. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess that makes sense, but they've never hunted in Wisconsin where the birds are already educated when they get here, you know? <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Everybody tells me these stories about shooting a thousand birds a day in Canada. I'm yeah. sitting here trying to scratch out six and generally getting three, you know? Oh, exactly. Yeah, I I was actually supposed to go up to Canada this year, but then with the closure and everything, just kind of got shafted on that end. But uh, you didn't sneak over, huh? I, I might have tried to run through the border a little bit when I was in North Dakota. It's fine. I'd keep that on the DL, though. <laughs> hey, that's right. Just get a boat, right? Yeah, Throw exactly. the decoys in there and figure it out when you're on the other side. Yeah, just get that pull cart that you were talking about. Just run over there. Try to keep it quiet. I, uh, I was actually uh, illegally in Canada once, technically. Oh, really? I worked for a month in Canada. And they had lost our work permit. This was for a job yeah. 10 years ago. And so technically we weren't allowed to be there. And two of us flew home for Thanksgiving and two guys stayed back in this home that the company rented. And while we were gone, immigration showed up and deported the two guys back to America. No way. Yeah. And we had to sneak back in the country. It was hilarious. <laughs> And sneak back in the country. I mean, we literally told them we were going to. We're like, oh, we're just up here for a Toronto Raptors game. They're like, sounds good enough to us, you know. <laughs> you're clearly not here to work. Yeah, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah, I hear you on that. But I mean, Canada, but, have you ever been to Canada? Well, I I worked in uh, I worked in Toronto. That's the only time I've ever been up there. Okay, so no water um, line. No, you know what? I, I was invited by Pacific Calls um, for the, the video series that they call Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, and it was like one of the great disappointments in my life that I couldn't go. Um, I had, you know, they didn't have uh, internet access up there and it was in the middle of, at the time I was in a sales job, it was right in the middle of my sales season. Yeah. And I was like, I need one thing, I need internet access. And I'm like, can't do it. And I'm like, well, I'm out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, uh, but yeah, that, that is one of my great regrets in life is, is not getting up there, but um, it's very, yeah, very high on my list. There's a lot that's very high on my list yeah. to find, but very high on my list to get up there and, uh, and actually get on some truly world-class waterfall hunting. Yeah, it's it's insane. I mean, the, but the stories that my buddies tell me, it's just snow geese are just dumb. Docks are just dumb. Like, everything is just... And there's so many feeds. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. There's so many, like, spots you can hunt. And they're like, yeah, we won't even, like, look at a field of, like, ducks unless it's, like, under 5,000 or, like, over 5,000. Like... Yeah. Yeah, one of my... One of those two mentors I was telling you about, actually, both of them go up to Canada just about every year. Uh, one of them, it, it's, like... You can't tell anybody where in Canada you're going. Yeah. You can't take any pictures. Like, like if, if this guy takes you to this spot, like, you're on lockdown. Yeah. And I've been working my way up, hopefully, the ladder with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, one of these days, I'm going to get the invite, man. You know. Oh, but exactly. I'm done, dude. I'm dying to get up there and, and get on some real waterfall hunting. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, that's. I gotta just make it up there and kind of hit it with those guys because that'd just be so much fun. Well, hopefully, the border will be open again this year, and uh, we can all uh, we can all get over the over the border and and get on them. You know. Oh, exactly. I feel so bad for all the guides that are 
just not able to get up there and work. Like it's just yeah. terrible. Like, that's that's the sad thing is the the people's businesses and livelihoods that have been ruined by this whole thing. And you know, with with the increase in the bans that they're having on firearm stuff up there, it's, yeah, it's looking real bad for a lot of good people. Yeah. And, the, the best thing we can hope for is the borders open back up and those people can open their doors again to us and we can support them, you know, but yeah. it's, uh, I can't imagine what it's like to, to be somebody in rural Canada that, you know, this year it's got, it had to be horrible. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause I mean, you think about all the rural, like gas stations, whatever it is, mm-hmm. food spots that all these hunters are coming and bringing all this business to. And now yep. they just like, they they're just shit out of luck like yeah and that's just that's got to be a tough time for all those rural spots in canada just because they don't have the usual amount of people that come up there every year and eat at the same spot five days a week or whatever it is go to the same gas station every day to fill up i mean it's tough Uh, it it has to be you know the, the only shining light is you know being in the outdoors industry i've seen how insane the demand has been on outdoor gear. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't matter if you're buying a fishing pole or a shotgun or camouflage, like every outdoor company on this planet has probably um, sold out of everything and is doing everything they can to make more. And, you know, we have a lot of outdoorsmen with a lot of new gear and they probably are chomping at the bit to use it. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully once, uh, you know, this, this pandemic goes away, there'll be a lot of guys looking at their brand new uh, thousands of dollars in, in outdoor equipment and it can actually, you know, start dreaming and get out and use it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, you think about all the guys that went and bought all this gear and then they couldn't even go out this year just because of COVID. Yeah. And like, they just can't do it. And then the guys that were fortunate enough to either go on guided hunts around here, I mean, that's been good for the guides down in the States because people want to get out. They want to get out of this little um, reality that we're living in now. And uh, like, okay, well, if I can get on a hunt down in Texas or Arkansas or whatever it is and just get out of the house, that's just the biggest thing is just getting out of the house. Yeah. Yeah, it is, man. And, you know, luckily uh, we have the ability in this country to get out and enjoy the outdoors and, uh, you know, super thankful for that. Right. Yeah. Uh, But it's you know, I, I didn't get out because I was in the industry, so I was working harder than most people probably on the planet, uh, you know, just trying to keep the pipeline going. But, um, you know, that whole time, you're just like, man, there's some dude in some town that is so stoked to be outside right now because he's been working a soul-sucking job for 10 years and hasn't had a chance to get outside, you know. Yeah. And here's his chance to to find his love for the outdoors again and and to find that passion and you know i hope once this pandemic is done and the craziness has, has settled out that these people that found that passion that they lost because there's a lot of them i mean we yeah. had i think eight million new anglers um, i don't know how many new hunters i'm sure i think it was like 30 or 40 percent more tags sold in the state yeah. of wisconsin i think um you know i mean there's millions of new or returning outdoorsmen and i hope that after this is over like those people found their passion and will continue living in it um i'm pessimistic about it but that's just my personality but you know i hope that's true because i I found a great joy in the outdoors um and i think it's important for 
most people to find something in the outdoors that they enjoy. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Just people getting stuck up in their jobs, not being able to get outside, like all that kind of stuff and allowing people to work from home now, um, just really allows them to kind of make their own, make their own little time frames that they can get out and fish, hunt, whatever it is, just get out and go mm-hmm. do that again. Like, yep. I think that's a great, great deal for people all around the outdoor industry and just to get those, you know, like you were saying, returning people, um, just back into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I can, we can only hope, right. And hopefully this pandemic's gone sooner than later. Yeah. Cause uh, a year into it here, um, <laughs> I missed a trip to the Florida Keys among yeah. a lot of other things I was looking forward to. And, and I'm about ready to return back to normal life. So any day now would be great. Uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, um, you know, we were handed a, a blessing in the outdoor industry. Um, you know, obviously that comes with a shadow, right? Yeah. And, and a bit of a, a bit of a dark cloud over it. Um, but I, I do hope, you know, I really am hopeful that this, this whole bad situation uh, will turn out to be extremely good for you know not only the environment but for people's lives um and i think it will i think it will for a large number of these people obviously a lot of them will go back to work and forget but you know i think this has been life-changing in a positive way for a lot of people yeah oh absolutely i think i think you're absolutely right on just getting people um back into it i mean even even the guys that weren't able to bring their kids out, now they have that opportunity um, to take some of these younger younger generations out just because they don't have to do all this work and they have that time and, and taking advantage of it, um, just getting those younger, younger kids and that generation back into it because I feel like you just have seen such a loss in that in the past yeah. few years and just people don't do it like they used to. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, no, it's been, I think it's, there's pros and cons to it, but you got to try to look on the bright side of things of this COVID deal. And, uh, I mean, take advantage of it. Like I've seen so many new buddies that have been able to get out and, uh, kind of experience that with me just because they haven't had to work or whatever it is. And then now they're just hooked. They're like, when can I come back? Like, this is yeah. just so much fun. Yep. Like I had, I had my buddy, um, he started hunting with us last year or yeah, last, yeah, last, last year, last fall. Um, and I mean, he shot his first duck, his first goose, his first turkey and his first deer all in, all in a year with us. Wow. So, That's a good feat. Yeah. And so he was just, he's pumped up about it. I'm like, dude, it doesn't happen like that all the time. Like no. you're, you're very fortunate. I mean, his first goose was a cackler in Minnesota. Oh, jeez. Like, I was like, dude, you never see that. Like, you are no. so, like, we shoot maybe three cacklers a year, if yeah. that. I've and, seen two shots in Wisconsin. <laughs> That's it. And I was like, dude, like, we, it was super funny because, like, we thought, like, we were like, what the hell is going on? Like, we're hearing all this, like, rambling noise, and that doesn't sound like a goose, but, like, <laughs> yeah. okay. And we look up, and they're like, sky high these two this pair of cacklers mm-hmm. and we give them a little call on this water hole that we're hunting and it's like they hit a brick wall and just dropped and it was like one of the coolest things to experience 
just by hunting those like you don't see that like very often i mean i mean you will but like it's like it was just super cool to just literally just straight drop down and to get him that first goose which was a cat it was just super it was a super cool morning yeah man sounds like it yeah anytime you get to be up close with characters it's a blast yeah and they're, yeah, they're just so cool. They're just like the size of a mallard. And yep. <laughs> it's just not used to that around here. Yeah, it's it's wild. So that, that kid that's in the Diverge photo, his first field hunt, he shot a cackler. <laughs> <laughs> so he has a lot of firsts with me. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a lucky guy. But um, yeah, it's like all of a sudden, you know, same thing. We hear two very funny sounding birds coming over left to right. And they cross right in front of us. And a couple shots later, they're both on the ground. We're like, look at this! What, what the heck is this? We, at first, we were just shocked. We're like, what the? Is this a, is this a freaking mutant yeah. goose? Like, what happened to it? You know? But they're cool birds, man. I, that's one bird I want to mount one day. It's a, it's a good cackler. Yeah, yeah. We shot two really pretty ones actually up in Bemidji um, this no year, kidding. and they came in. It was like, like right at shooting light, and we're like. Those are really small. There's no way ducks are around here right now because there's not many ducks on the rice ponds up there at that time of year. And they come in just flying, and uh, we just <laughs> ripped them down. I'm like, holy shit, it's a cacker. <laughs> oh, that's too much fun, man. Yeah, but it's it's a blast. Like, And I don't know, just something about it. And then taking pictures on the hunt too, like, I mean, you've experienced it. It's just bringing that story to life yeah I just I love that about photography yeah a lot of memories that you forget if you don't take pictures man and that's uh, you know there's days I don't want to take pictures and mm-hmm. um, you know but I, I've never regretted taking pictures on a hunt yeah and you know there's a lot of hunts I would have forgotten about if it wasn't for those photos and um, you know even if it's on your cell phone man it's, it's worth it just yeah. take a couple every time yeah Oh, exactly. Because, I mean, just able to bring that story back to life. I mean, after a couple of years, I love, like, seeing on Facebook all of a sudden this photo pops up of us shooting yeah. ducks when we were young. And it's just, like, cool to kind of totally forgot about it until that kind of popped up. And just oh, a good, absolutely. good memory to bring back to life. Absolutely, man. And, uh yeah, no, it's just fun. How long How long have you been taking photos? Um, probably a bit over 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. Because, yeah, that, that's awesome. That's a lot, of, yeah. a lot of good photos and a lot of good memories. I, I appreciate it, man. And I, I tell everybody I was the worst photographer that's ever picked up a camera when I first started. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm good now, but I've come a long ways. And, uh you know, a lot of a lot of good people along the way helped me and gave me tips or advice or input or told me how terrible I was and how to do something better. And um, you know, that's what it's all about, man. Being able to take really good criticism, yeah. um, not criticism, but but constructive criticism, and be able to take that, internalize it, and you know, not get upset about it. Realize it is what it is, and um, you know, move on. And if if it wasn't for people that did that for me. You know, I wouldn't have won Diverge 6, which, in my opinion, was the greatest photography thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't win it. I won a waterfall. i got to clarify. To me, it wasn't winning it, but yeah, I realized that's not, uh, not quite correct. But It's a big um, deal. 
it, you know, for me, it was uh, probably almost lost my marriage over it. Like, it was fun so much yeah. trying to win that stupid thing. Uh, but, um, you know, like I, if it wasn't for people, other people, yeah, I, I'd be, I'd still be a, the worst photographer on the planet like I used to be. So, oh yeah, I love it, dude. I mean, that's what's so great about the outdoor industry as well. Like, people are willing to help and like yeah. show you what you need to do to be successful unless you're hunting their field yeah, and oh, exactly. they beat you by 10 minutes and i go straight to hg double hockey sticks <laughs> yeah I mean, that's what i was talking about with a buddy it's like their waterfowl hunting is so helpful as long as you're in your own territory yeah yeah <laughs> people love to help you but once you step out of your territory it's like all right buddy let's let's hop back in that ring <laughs> yeah there's no doubt man i mean there's, there's a lot of friendships i'm sure that have been lost over over fields and yeah. uh differences of opinions on who beat who and all that oh yeah oh exactly i mean you think about i mean even where we're at um like the amount of people and when i was talking to ben about this um potter he's like yeah we're all trying to be out here to have fun like that's the goal of just out being hunting making memories whatever it is he talked about that in hunt 41 and i like really thought about that because i mean we'll run into guys that have the same permission to the field or whatever and i'm like hey like if we want to hunt together that's great like if not and you want to be a dick about it then like you can leave because you don't have written permission and i do and if you want to call the farmer at 4 a.m like then that's your problem but i'd rather make it work <laughs> like, and so yeah it's just it's a whole like dude we had uh our first day of opener for early season, we like set up all night. Um, we had this loaf pond set up a ton of decoys threw the A-frames up, brushed them up, we're up all night. And then some dude and, uh, his like 26 year old son pulls up at literally five minutes of shooting light. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's lit. Like, so I go talk to him or whatever. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, man, like we're going to be hunting out here. Um, like if you guys like would have came a little earlier like we could have like planned for it and like okay maybe could have set up a different blind or whatever it is and like could have made it work but like i don't know how we're going to do that now because we have eight guys out here already have <laughs> everything set up like i don't want to be a dick but like that's like what we have he's like starts cussing me out i'll go stand in the middle of the spread i don't give a, i don't give a damn like you think you own everything i'm like i didn't say any of that like you don't have to get all riled up about it but like i just if you would have been here a little earlier like we could have made something work and had like no decoys or anything he was just gonna go sit on the pond yeah and i'm like yeah i wish we could have made it work well fuck you whatever it is and i'm like okay well you can head out because i i don't need this right now yeah. and uh yeah and <laughs> we hunted it the second day too and uh he pulled up again saw our spread and left and i'm like yep seems about right <laughs> he pulled up five yeah. minutes before again and i'm like dude like uh it was just it was something interesting yeah, I've, I've been in some similar situations, man, and it's uh, like opening day this year, you know, we were there from since 9 p.m., 10 p.m., whatever, and, you know, it's like, man, I've literally been here for eight hours in the same swamp hole, like, and you're rolling up past me at a canoe five minutes before shooting light, like, there's going to be some words, and they're not yeah. going to be the nicest, so, 
you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I, I like to think I'm a pretty nice guy. Um, my friends got to see a side to me they've never seen before opening day this year. Yeah. And, you know, I felt a little bad at 10 a.m. a couple hours later, but at, you know, 5.30 a.m., 4.30 a.m., I had no grace for anybody yeah. coming through my spread. <laughs> so that's the way it is, man. I mean, we'll love you until you, you come up 100 yards from us on opening morning. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and just, it's, it's the people that pull up like five minutes before. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what is... I don't get it, man. Like, what is your goal? You see all these trucks out there and you're just like, yep, I'm just gonna just go wherever I want. Like, have some respect. Like... I've, I've never, I've never understood the guy that's not there at least an hour early. I've yeah. never understood it. And, and not to say we all haven't had situations where, you know, an issue in the morning or, yeah. you know, whatever. But I, I, an opening morning, if you think for a second you're going to show up to a spot an hour before shooting light <laughs> and you're not going to be cursed at by somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, you're probably got another thing coming or you're on private land because <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's not happening, man. Oh, exactly. Yeah, no, it's just, it just blows my mind. Like, like what, like, how do you expect to, like, what are you doing? I just, yeah, it just blows my mind. I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I don't either, man. And I mean, this is just coming from somebody who's only been a hunter for 10 years. So, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we were, we were growing up a little different. Yeah, but. <laughs> it was a little bit different, something like that. Yeah, my, my second, uh, one of my second or third duck hunt, um, I had been, I'd sat on a bank, uh, just kind of, t- I mean, I know what I was doing to be honest, but still, yeah. uh, I was sitting on this bank and I had two guys walk by me at sunrise, mm. literally say to my face, sucks to be you and sat down 50 yards from me. Oh my God. Dude, one of the worst experiences of my life as a hunter. And then proceeded to sky blast everything. Yeah. But anyway, that that's a nightmare I try not to realize too often. Jesus. So yeah, there's some savage dudes out there, man. Um, and I don't know who raised them, but nobody, none of the people I grew up around, certainly. No, not at all. Sucks to be you. Oh my God. Dude, I'll, I'll never forget that as long as I live. But literally, word for word, like to my face as they walked by me. I mean, it was that. I mean, it was that cold and savage. I mean, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. That's ruthless. That is that is the definition of ruthless. <laughs> yeah. So needless to say, I had a bad taste in my mouth about duck hunters for a while after that. But oh yeah, <laughs> I feel I feel I would too. <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah, that's, that's something you expect from like a PETA supporter mm-hmm. or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Coming out there. Imagine if a PETA walked out and they just started taking videos of you. I would lose my mind. We, we've we had, I mean, it's, it was, again, my first field hunt. Uh, we had a car drive by while birds were working and start honking. Really? Just, they'd start honking their horn and scare them all away, you know? Oh my god! Yeah, that's a, that's the closest I've been to hunter harassment outside of other hunters harassing me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which is way more prevalent than non hunters harassing you. Oh yeah, I was talking to uh, Barton Ramsey earlier this morning, and uh, we were talking about like the field trial stuff for dogs and how they do it in the UK, and he shed some light on like 
how many people like hate hunting out there. Like, mm-hmm. just, yeah, I've listened to that podcast by him. Yeah, and just how they hate it, and like, it's just like, yep. Well, they'll try to sneak into these hunt tests and take videos and whatnot, and it's wow. really like, if you don't know somebody and you like don't know a bunch of people or whatever like you're not going to be able to be a part of that hunt test just because of how many people try to ruin them yeah and yeah i worry about that kind of stuff in the states i mean not to that extent yet but i mean we we opened up a wolf hunt here in wisconsin man and yesterday yeah and uh which i i obviously support as an outdoorsman absolutely but outdoorsman are terrible at PR and we do ourselves such a disservice. Um, and it's just, I mean, we're our own worst enemies half the time, man. I mean, just like, I get it. You shot a wolf. That's great. But could you maybe not take a picture of it with 15 gallons of water around it? Yeah. Like you're literally doing nothing but making us look terrible, Yeah. you know? And look, I, 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 I've, I skirt that line and I I really struggle with, do we show hunting in its truest form or do we kind of try and clean it up a bit for the public? And I think in a picture, you have to clean it up for the public Mm -hmm. because the public doesn't, because that doesn't tell the story, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the perfect example is Steven Ronella, the greatest brand that hunting has had in the last 40 years, right? I mean, he is the greatest brand manager of hunting there is because he shows the process, right? And it's in a long format. You can't show something that's so divisive like wolf hunting in a terrible format and then just be like, stick it to people, like, right? Like that. We don't live in the 80s, right? Like, it's, it's, it's 2021, man. Like, we got to be better at managing the brand of hunting, right? Yeah. Uh, anyways yeah oh exactly like and there's just so much media to be posted and like like you're saying it's not like the 80s where like you can go do a bunch of stuff and then nobody even realizes or whatever like you just have to show um what it's like on media to people that are a little bit sensitive about it and yeah man you have to show it in the right form I mean, we're look. If you don't think Facebook is going to ban hunting content in the next ten years, you're, you're high. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> dude. It's it's coming down mm. the pipe. Mm. It is coming down the pipe. It is a matter of time before Instagram and Facebook ban us. Yeah. Right. I don't care if you think I'm crazy for saying that. I don't think anybody on the planet can disagree with me. Yeah. But it's coming down the pipe, and you're only making that come quicker. Yeah. Um. Look, one of my biggest pet peeves, and you might do this, I don't know. So, again, I'm not not going to hate on anybody that does it, but, like, if my buddies do it, I call them out on it. And that's, like, the duck bell and the shotgun barrel picture. Yeah. Like, you want to set me off, you take a picture with a duck bill and a shotgun barrel, and you send it to me. And, like, my buddy literally did that, and he sent me a picture and I, the, the scathing response I sent him was like, bro, A, never take a picture like this again or we're never hunting. Uh, B, if you post this on social, I will be real pissed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, within our culture, it's, yeah. it's fine, right? Within hunters, it's fine. Yeah. But you you can't do that to the general public. You, you just shouldn't skirt that line with them. Yeah. And look, yeah, you know what? I get hazed on 
by people that are the unapologetic, want to show everything. I get their viewpoint. I don't agree with it. Yeah. Um, it's just you got to be sensitive to the times to a, to a, to a point. And there's a lot of people out there that aren't. So yeah. that's all. I'm all get off my soapbox now. Sorry. <laughs> I think, uh, no, yeah, I hear you on that. And that gives me a good idea. I think I'm probably going to have to post an Instagram photo of that and be like, hey, Stefan taught me how to take this photo. Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't know want, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't even have a, I can't even think of a proper answer to that joke because uh, I'll be fired up. <laughs> he taught me everything I know. Like, this is how he wants me to take these photos, and I'm just going to follow it yeah. up on Instagram. <laughs> Between that photo and the, the Snokies number, which is still less offensive than that, um, you know, it's like, look, if I shot 108 Snokies, would I take that picture? There's a good chance. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I think it represents us as hunters very well. <laughs> yeah, dude, I hear you on that. And like, I'm that... a hypocrite, but anything but the duck fell shot, all right? <laughs> Anything but the duckbill shot. All right. I'll remember that. I, I haven't taken one in yet. I haven't taken one yet, but I might have to take one. Just send it to you just for that. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. Oh. Get you all Get worked me fired up. up. Get me all worked up right away. Oh, God. I love it. And uh, no, back to like what you were saying about Facebook. Like, dude, you can't even sell decoys unless it's like goose decorations. Like, I can't sell decoys on Facebook Marketplace. Like, they would like, if I said goose decoys, they literally like block my post. Really? I didn't hear that. That's bad, bad. That's yeah. like real bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was selling some last summer. Yeah, last summer. And like I kept posting it, I posted like four times, and they just kept taking it down. And then I like kept seeing on like how people are selling them. They're like goose decorations. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> dude, that's bad, man. I mean, and look, it's it's common, man. And I don't know, I don't know that there's a solution out there anymore that makes sense for us. And yeah, yeah. it's just not it, it, not a good gig. It's 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 a wonderful time to be alive, and at the same time, it's a very depressing time to be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that to me is is what is so scary is like this continued removal of free speech and, and ability to be a human being and cancel culture and all that. Man, I yeah. mean, like as, as obviously. I would maybe not obviously as someone that you could probably guess is right leaning and conservative. Um, that is one of the scariest things in my lifetime I've ever seen. You know, I mean, it's like nine 11 twin towers falling and this, right? Like, you know, I'm not sure to throw a pandemic in there, but <laughs> it's like, you know, like those two things together seem to be some of the, the, the most terrifying things that have happened in my lifetime. And, um, yeah, it's just I don't know what we do about this, man. And there's nothing we can do, really. It's just yeah, yeah. It's I mean, just everyone's, it's scary. Everyone's on one side. Like that's hard on one side, no matter what. Like there's yeah. very rarely will you run into people that think like, okay, there's pros to this, pros to that. Um, it's just always like if it's not this way, like get out. And yeah. that's what we're running into. I mean, people. Well, don't, yeah, and it's if you haven't watched uh, uh, something on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, it actually tells you why that is. 
Um, okay, I'll have to look that up. It's mostly Facebook's fault. Um, I, I don't mean to put all the blame on them, but yeah. it, it's essentially the algorithm that Facebook used that basically, and, and this is going to sound really conspiracy theorist, but you got to watch it. Yeah. Um, but it basically programmed us to get harder and deeper entrenched in our own viewpoints. Mm. Um, and it basically started creating more of a social divide than there ever was in you know, that, that, like, people not anymore listening, like, literally not being open to our ideas, uh, regardless of what side you're on, like, I would be happy to sit across the aisle from somebody that has different viewpoints than me, because my, by the end of our discussion, 90% of the people on this planet, we're going to be aligned on yeah. most things, right? Yeah. Like, but we don't see that anymore. Right. Because we don't even let ourselves find middle ground. Um, and yeah, man, that's terrifying. Oh, I'm with you. And I was watching. I don't know if it was Forrest Gallant or who it was, um, but they were speaking on like they were in Africa and they went to like go like experience this tribe or whatever. That's like way deep in there. And uh, there's like like past the world like they just like nothing nothing from the world like comes into that town whatever super hard to get in there and um he was like listening to a conversation between like two guys that are each on a different side of a topic and they're discussing it and he's like yeah like i agree with um whoever it was like let's say it's uh I don't know, a right-wing guy or whatever, a left-wing guy. And he just, he decided, he's like, yeah, I agree with them. Um, trying to like side up with them. And they're like, no, 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 no. This is not like how you should do it. It's a discussion between the two. Like we're trying to figure out common ground and it shouldn't be like, you're right and you're wrong. It should be, yes, I hear your viewpoints. Oh, here's a different look on it. Um, and I can take that back with me and learn from it. Now, I thought that was yep. really, really cool because um, everyone just gets stuck up in their own ways and trying to side with things. And you just really have to open your mind on different topics on how people see things. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of it was kind of cool to hear about that. Yeah, man. And it's I mean, it's it's where we live in a polarized society and it's sad. And, you know, more than anything, like. I hope we get to the point, and I think we are slowly getting there, especially things like the social dilemma, yeah. like where we realize like, okay, like we never, we never anticipated how much things like social media would dictate our lives. Yeah. Um, but now that these things exist, we need people looking into the ethics of them. Yeah. And because uh, right now, I mean, like your free thought is being manipulated by, um, companies for profit mm -hmm. and like look I, that probably sounds crazy if you've never heard that before but facebook is making money off you because of how much time you spend on facebook yeah so if they're using human psychology to get you to spend more time they're going to figure out how to do that mm -hmm. and um a lot of times that's not beneficial to your mental health no. um in the ways that they do that and so that to me is what it boils down to with social media and all this. And look, I'm a social media marketer. Like yeah. this, is, this is how I make my living right now. Um, 
And so I understand this to kind of like the nth degree, like deeper than most people, but at the same time, I make my living doing it. Yeah. So it's a real catch 22, right? Yeah. Um, Cause I love it. But then at the same time, there's this really terrifying side to it that has to be addressed in the next decade, if not sooner. Yeah. And unfortunately the most wealthy companies that have ever existed are these companies. So good luck with that. Um, and again, I'm not saying anything that's not true. Just, research it right yeah like i probably sound like a conspiracy theorist but it's i'm just telling you what's happened and the facts and like like i said the social dilemma is one of many things that has come out that has shed light on this that um i encourage everybody on this planet to watch because it's the most important film in the last decade i mean hands down mm-hmm. so again i apologize if it sounds crazy but um <laughs> no. you know living in the digital marketing space and like having my eyes open to this stuff is insane yeah oh absolutely yeah i mean you just think about how much time people spend on these apps and like how much data they're giving to these companies on like here this is here this is how you read me this is how you're going to market to me like this is the ads that i'm going to like so show me those like just crazy well, I mean, here's the, the number one thing pe- most people don't know. If you are logged into your Google, uh, your Gmail, or you're logged into Facebook, those two apps track you constantly unless you log out. How many people log out? Zero. Like, very okay. few. Yeah. So, think about this. Every single thing you do on your computer, every single thing or your phone, and you have one of those two apps that's not signed out of, is knowing everything you do on your phone. So your phone knows more about you than anybody on the planet and knows you better than you even know yourself. Mm. So, you know, not to go down this rabbit hole that keeps me up at night. Uh, (laughs) But but like, that's the truth, right? Like, you don't have to believe me, look it up. Those two apps, if you don't log out, track everything you do from morning till night till whenever, right? And they, they know when you are feeling whatever type of way you're feeling based on your internet usage and they can boil that down to patterns and then market to you based on those patterns that you have. Yeah. So anyways, um, that's all about social media <laughs> and now I won't be able to sleep tonight. No, I'm kidding. Um, I've had enough of those nights. I can go to bed, but yeah. that, that is like really deep, like that is like really deep stuff that like most people don't know. And when you tell them their mind is blown and they're like, come on, that can't be true. And then they look it up and then they message me and they're like, Oh my God, you're right. And then you're like, yeah, sorry. I like ruined your whole life. Um, you know, so Hey, this is another thing that'll keep you up at night during the waterfall season is you just wait until I send you that picture, man. <laughs> you just wait. Yeah, I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. I'll be waiting. I'll have a fiery response ready. You'll have it already typed up. It'll be like a three-page thing about it. That's right. After this podcast come out, all I'm going to get is photos of people sticking dirt, you know, and their freaking shotguns. And just going you know, to have like 30 messages next season. Hey, I heard you hate this shot. Yeah, thanks. Freaking jerks. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's just that's that's crazy to think about. I mean, I've just never really, never done enough research on that. Um, and and you know what, most people don't. Yeah, I mean, and, you wouldn't know unless you're in the space, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. I mean, I just you need to know about that for your job. 
Unfortunately, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, my eyes can no longer be shut to this crap. Oh, yeah. I hear you. Well, um, hey, brother. Well, we're coming up on two hours, and that's usually about the time that uh, people quit listening and such for the podcast. <laughs> but, I'll give them 10 minutes on this one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it was awesome. We covered a ton of stuff. Like, I had a blast. Same here, man. I, I really appreciate you reaching out. Um, you know, I again, I'm, I'm always happy to give advice, at least my advice. You know, I, everybody has an opinion, and, and mine's probably worthless, but if it helps you out a little bit, um, you know, I'm more than happy to, and, and I'm glad something I said resonated with you. That means a lot to me that I was able to help you out, and you, you got something from my advice, and um, certainly more than happy to help out anybody else out there that has questions. You know, I'm not... I'm not freaking the best photographer on the planet, but I've learned a thing or two over the years. Mm -hmm. Always happy to share. Absolutely. And, dude, you got to come out to Mankato if you got the time. Man, I'd love to, dude. Sounds like you kill them out there, and I always want to be where they're killing them. Exactly, dude. Come get on a good field hunt and uh, come out for the weekend or whatever it is, dude. Just You're always welcome. I appreciate that, man. And uh, I may hit you up on some fall snow or something one of these years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, dude, it's, it's psycho. Like you gotta, you gotta hop in the ring on one of those times. You've, uh, you've certainly piqued my interest, man. You got my wheels turning here. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, thanks again, brother. I appreciate you hopping on, and that was awesome. We're gonna have to definitely do another one because I got a lot more stuff that we could talk about. I'm sure. <laughs> you got it, man. Anytime. You have a good night, all right? All right, you as well. See ya. All right, peace. And that wraps things up today for Living the Guide Life with Stephen from Wisconsin. Diverge 6 winner for Waterfall. And uh, like he said, man, he's always willing to help other people, which is such a great thing. And such a great thing to see in the outdoor industry because everyone is willing to help each other and, you know, make each other better waterfall hunters, make each other better waterfall photographers and whatnot. And that'll make everything so much easier with social media now these days because people will tear into you for it. And uh, finding the right guys to help you move along in your career and help you get going or trying to start something up is a great thing. And uh, we had that today. So I hope you guys had fun. And uh, till next time.